Hi, I'm Tyra G., your host of Frankly Speaking with Tyra G. Welcome again to our virtual global gathering of phenomenal listeners, fearsome and generous, humble and honest, in pursuit of new possibilities and purpose. You know, here we dig deep and we come up strong. We bravely walk into places where tradition has taught us there are just some things you don't talk about, but not at this table. And no matter how hard judgment knocks, it can't come in. Beloved, we live beyond the wreckage here. Every week we experience, educate, encourage, and empower each other. We have a firm belief that everyone not only has a story, but everyone is a story. So, we share aha moments and stories that have been left in our pockets for way too long. Although many of your voices will speak light into darkness, there is no insignificant person around this table. Each week we'll start right where we are. The dress code is your authenticity, your inner awesome, and your belief that impossible is merely a word to describe the degree of difficulty. Frankly speaking with Tyra G is one of my most ambitious dreams. I thank God for every remembrance of you, your gifts of ideas, your presence, and your encouragement. I can't do this show without you. Thank you so very much. You're listening to Radio Fairfax, Fairfax, Virginia, Cablecast on Cox and Verizon Files, Channel 37, and Comcast, Channel 27 in Reston. And we're webcast worldwide on the internet at www.radiofairfax.org every Saturday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Should you miss us, no worries. You can catch our archive, Frankly Speaking with Tyra G Podcasts, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And if you just feel like connecting with me offline, it's easy. Email me at tyra at tyragarlington.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. And thank you, Courtney Nero, for composing and performing our Frankly Speaking theme song. And for naming it, I'm listening. For five years, Frankly Speaking with Tyra G. has been telling thematic stories to touch the mind, the heart, and the spirit. They've been multicultural and intergenerational, educational and inspirational. And they have been told by you, my co-host, my listeners. Thank you so much. However, we find ourselves in the midst of an ongoing season of uncertainty, unrest, natural disasters, unnecessary violence and death. We've all been touched by a fresh sense of fragility in ourselves and in our social systems. As a result, this has become a testing time, a time to look hard, to recognize that we're doing better than we think we are. This is a time to elevate voices of hope. This is a time to reimagine what is essential. This is a time for believers to remember the author and finisher of Genesis is also the author of Revelation. He's still in the miracle business. 
This is a time to be encouraged. However, on occasion, in order to survive, we are challenged to encourage ourselves. We need to recognize that we're a journey, not a destination, a process, not an event. Even if we're still, we're in motion, loving, serving, nurturing, encouraging, and empowering. We are love, and love does. But sometimes, sometimes we get stuck between our no longer, those things that are familiar, our habits, and are not yet that person we were created to be and we may think the question is am i enough by the way the right answer is a resounding yes this week we are visiting one of our special themes entitled legacy is for the living after all legacy is an interconnection across time with a need for those who have become before us and a responsibility to those who will come after us. So in order to create our common thought space for today, I want to share some thoughts that may not live in the forefront of your mind when you hear the term legacy. Susan B. Borsak of the Legacy Project suggests, again, legacy is about life and living. It's about learning from the past, living in the present, and building from the future. Did you know that the best place to plant a young tree is in a clearing in an overgrown florist, not an open field? Why, Tyra, I'm glad you asked. Ecologists tell us that a young tree grows better when it's planted in an area with older trees. Now, this is the good part. The reason, it seems, is that the roots of the young tree are able to follow the pathways created by former trees and implant themselves more deeply. Over time, the roots of many trees may actually graft themselves to another, creating an intricate, interdependent foundation hidden under the ground. In this way, stronger trees share resources with weaker ones. That's legacy and interconnection across time with a need for those who've come before us and a responsibility to those who come after us. And legacy takes many forms. Children, grandchildren, a business, an ideal, a book, a community, a home, some piece of ourselves. How many of us are living our lives so that our legacy reflects all that we truly hold most dear? How many of us are living with integrity and courage? The world isn't connected by molecules. It's connected by stories, traditions, memories, hopes, and dreams. We're connected by the legacies passed down from those who came before us and the legacies we pass down to those who come after us. For children, legacy means learning from the past. It separates the timeless from the transient. We need to tell our, our children our life stories and our choices and how we made our decisions. That way, children get to learn from us. For adults, legacy means hoping for the future. It means developing and passing on a timeless part of yourself. We feel valued and useful no matter how old we get. We realize that 
We do our bit in the grand scheme of things, our tiny gestures multiply in significance. We understand that we would leave behind in the world our children and our children's children to inherit. For both young and old, the power of legacy enables us to live fully in the present. You understand that you're a part of a larger community, a community that must remember its history to build its future. Legacy is very much about life in the living. This week, our storyteller is indeed a living legacy. I became intrigued about this particular story because I happened to be traveling in Chicago, Illinois, and I sat in a shoe store with my friend waiting to be helped. I listened to satisfied customers in conversation about the service they received in this particular shoe store. I asked a few questions. Excuse me. I'm sorry. I asked a few questions and it became clear that Wesley's, a family-owned shoe store, provides an individual shopping experience to all who visit. Now that, that made me understand the woman who talked about, oh, I have horrible feet. This is the only store I will come to shop for shoes. Another person was here from Africa visiting, and he came prepared to purchase shoes to take back for he and his family. The quote I picked up from uh, the website they have says, From measuring a child's first shoe to helping you find comfort and style, we have everything you need to take your best step. This week, welcome to the Frankly Speaking Table, Mr. Bruce Wesley, owner owner of Wesley Shoe Corral in Hyde Park, Chicago. Bruce, the mic is yours. Well, hello, Tyra. Uh, thank you for having me on, and I'm uh, honored to be on your show today. And um, I guess a lot of people are not familiar with us, and some are, so I'll introduce myself. I'm Bruce Wesley, uh, second-generation owner of Wesley Shoes in Chicago. And a lot of people in the Chicago area and the Midwest do know us because we've been around since 1970. That's when my dad started the business. And we're now going on our 50, 54th year of business. And um, I guess to make it short and sweet, we um, we started, uh, our business started in 1970. My dad was uh, always uh, an entrepreneur. He's always been that way his whole life. Uh, I was fortunate to have a dad like that. And he... Uh, he didn't grow up, uh, he, he grew up uh, in Louisiana. He was actually rather poor in, in uh, Donaldsonville, Louisiana. He grew up poor. He was one of about 16 children. And uh, he used to always tell me stories back. He'd say, uh, son, when I grew up, I used to walk to school with no shoes on and all that. And I was like, really, Dad, you know. <laughs> <laughs> come, come to find out, he really did walk to school with no shoes on and they were really poor they they lived right across this the road from a big um a sugar cane field there they were they picked sugar cane all the time and that's the whole town was based on sugar cane 
But anyway, uh, come to find out, uh, yeah, he really didn't have any shoes until he and he uh, didn't have a high school, barely had a high school education, and uh, he really didn't get shoes until he laced up his boots to go to the uh, army, and uh, he served in World War uh, Two, I believe it was, mm-hmm. and he was in the army and the military, and uh, he became a, a first sergeant there. And um, so when he came back to Louisiana, he uh, was during that time period wasn't a great place to be in the South, so he uh, migrated to Chicago, and um, he still was with the military doing little odd and end jobs like exterminating and uh, cleaning up mess halls here in Chicago and mm-hmm. exterminating the mess halls and things. But he always had a taste for for shoes, I mean, for uh, being an entrepreneur. So mm-hmm. he, um, he uh, worked, uh, worked for a gentleman, uh, a Jewish couple, a Jewish family, Mm-hmm. They owned stores here in Chicago. They had a store on uh, 87th Street at the time, and they had a store in, that they were just opening. They were going to ha- open in Hyde Park, and they opened. They had another store, uh, I think, in the uh, Bronfield area, and they had a couple. I mean, they they were they had a lot of stores. <laughs> and anyway, uh, one of the main stores was on 87th Street, so my dad worked there and got a real feel for the business and really enjoyed it. And um uh, the, the the family they were pretty old at the time uh, the Divine Brothers and uh, so they uh, they wanted to sell that store on 87th Street and my dad was really <laughs> he wanted to be first in line to buy it and he was you know uh, anticipating that he would buy it but uh, wound up another fella got it and uh, so they, he still had the hunger for it so he went shopping itself to find his own store and start his own business and uh in 1970, he uh, he went into the Roseland area of Chicago, which at the time was a thriving area. Mm-hmm. It was uh, um, it was on the edge of uh, uh, where where you know the blacks were moving in and the whites were moving out, and it was uh, we were one of the first black merchants there. Us and the uh, a lot of people know the the old fashioned donuts store. We were two of the first merchants there for black merchants and we lived we were right across the street from a, a store called Gately's people store back in the days it was a, a equivalent of a Marshall Fields or something it was the store it was like a great location that my dad had lucked up on and found and we were two doors from JC Penney's and I mean there was a thriving area there were I mean all the stores you can name Sears and Roebuck back in the days and uh I can name a lot of Kenny's shoes and just uh, Woolworths, all those stores that were, you know. Well, Bruce, let me let me just uh, put a comma there because we have an international audience. So when Bruce is talking about uh, J.C. Penney's, that's a large, large chain. When he's talking about um, uh, what was uh, the other. Uh, uh, well, the Gately's was more of a local chain, but the large department store you mentioned. Uh, Sears and Roebuck, yeah. That was equivalent of what Walmart is today. <laughs> okay. So what uh, I want the audience to understand is we're talking about an African-American business in a large city 
1970. And so you have to understand the landscape. What Bruce's dad was doing was no insignificant business uh, move. And I'll give it back to you now. Oh, sure. No problem. Yeah, thanks for elaborating there. Uh, well, yeah, so my dad, he uh, <clears throat> he bought the store from a, a Jewish lady who had had the store since the 50s. Her husband had died. Uh, Mrs. Lieben was her name. And uh, Mrs. Lieben was one of those uh, ladies that didn't understand that shoes weren't like wine. They don't they don't get better as they age. <laughs> so she had shoes from she had shoes from the fifties and the sixties, and and this was nineteen seventy. So they were really old shoes that mm-hmm. unfortunately inherited from part of the deal. But um, so my dad, one thing he understood that the area was changing. And uh, he knew that a lot of blacks were moving in, so he he uh, started changing the landscape of the merchandise that we carried. So we were it was a it was a women's and a kids store when we came in there, but they just were outdated. They weren't in tune with the neighborhood. Uh, black women had larger feet; they had wider feet; they had different sizes, and so we started catering to a little more of that and we had more fashionable shoes. They had kind of like really basic shoes. And, um, we didn't start off as really high end. We were just kind of, you know, middle of the road, good quality shoes. You know, we weren't the, uh, you know, uh, highest price things then, but we were good quality and we always had good quality then. So, um, yeah, in 1970, I was a little shorty. So my dad, he's, you know, I was, watching TV on Saturday mornings, he told me to get out to bed and come on down and and uh, work with him at the store and move those boxes and get to work, you know. And so, so, hey, uh, yeah, uh, wait a minute, Bruce. When you said you were a little shorty, I'm thinking about the 70s and what kind of shoes the men were wearing at that time. Oh, my God, yeah. yeah. Talk about those shoes. <laughs> Yeah, we had, uh, <laughs> I know it was crazy, but we had platform shoes for men. Yes, yes. It was crazy. Yeah, it was not unusual to have platform shoes. I mean, we had them in all colors and sizes and different uh, heel heights. And we had, uh, <laughs> back then it was all, uh, the sneakers were Chuck Taylors, which were uh, Converse All-Stars. And yeah, yeah. Maybe a few uh, a few here and there. But uh, I was, remember, uh, I remember I was yeah. dating a young man. And he had a big afro, okay? He was in graduate school, and he wore platform shoes. And I introduced him to my parents. And I will never to this day forget the look on their face, right, on their faces. And yet today he and I are very good friends, and he's a very successful Mm -hmm. entrepreneur. But we laugh about his Mm -hmm. high-heel shoes. Yeah, yeah, that was the thing back then. And man, we were selling a lot of platform shoes. So mm-hmm. The thing it was a it was a time, you know. So anyway, I I, I started to enjoy the business. Uh, I came in and I was just like moving boxes and shifting things around. And mm-hmm. Eventually, the next thing you know, I was I started really enjoying it. I started moving the boxes around like I wanted. I started uh, trimming the the windows and putting the displays together. And then I would go to the trade shows with my dad, and um, you know he would, uh, you know, and say, "Hey, son, which shoe you like better, this one or that one?" You know, and I'd say, "Oh, I like this one, or whatever," you know, whatever. And so he let me kind of help with the merchandising and so forth. And eventually, I started going, and 
I would say, hey, well, how about let's go check out this booth for that. And I would pretty much gear the, I would gear up. I would know exactly what we wanted. I would try new brands and new lines and stuff. And we would, uh, it was fun. It was a fun time. We would, you know, do different things. We would merchandise and um, try different things. And uh, we we became eventually known for our children's shoes. Mm-hmm. Our children's shoes was like uh, one of the biggest parts of our business. And then we also were really known for our women's shoes because back in those days, a woman could not find a shoe above size 10. It would be crazy. So we would have 10 and a half, 11, 12, and then we would have wider widths. Back mm-hmm. then we had uh, Forsheim shoes was really good quality back then. And we yes. had Forsheim and yes. Stacey Adams were really good yes. quality. I mean, they were like uh, unbelievable quality. And we had shoes like that that were people really enjoyed you know they love the shoes and the styling and so forth so well um, what what i want to what i want to make sure we point out when i did my introduction and i talked about how how legacies are created and talked about for children to hear our stories and see how your decisions were made and you gave a perfect example with your dad and you you know once you were moving boxes but then he took you to shows and the decisions and then you started to make decisions for yourself so you were writing your story creating the legacy doing something you really enjoyed but we don't often think of that as legacy so at this point i want to make sure we start as listeners hearing what bruce is saying in his words of how things happen because that's how legacies happen so i've interrupted you enough go ahead no 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 that's fine that's fine so um yeah, so uh, we we uh, we we managed the store. The thing about Roseland, though, like many communities, they changed over the years. That um, they started, you know, a lot of them anchors started moving out, and the the, um, the area went down. I mean, real way down. And then, um, but we were kind of planning ahead in the '80s. Uh, the same guys who had. Uh, Giving my dad that first job mm-hmm. selling shoes mm-hmm. had a store in Hyde Park, mm-hmm. and uh, um, at the time I was going to school at the University of Illinois, and um, I had never had a job working for anybody anywhere, but they wanted me to come and work for them for a little and just get a feel for the business. Mm-hmm. And I had never sold shoes uh, anywhere, but in the black community, where I mean our our customers was ninety five percent black. You mm-hmm. know? And I was going into the Hyde Park area, which was like a melting pot here in Chicago. It still is. It was probably 50-50. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, I learned uh, after school, I would go to University of Illinois, and I would go over to um, the Divine Brothers store. It was called the Shoe Corral back then. And I would work for them for uh, after school. And he, uh, the, the Joe Divine and Harry would teach me the business. And... Um, the whole goal was uh, for me and my dad to take over. Eventually, they they wanted to groom. They they felt bad that they didn't sell that first store to dad, and they wanted to m- make sure that we got the opportunity to get this this store here in Hyde Park. So we, uh, you know, I learned under them, and they taught me a lot of different things. And um, and um, at the time, I was going to school, so it was an enjoyable time. And um, Eventually, uh, around 1982, I graduated and everything fell in place. And uh, it was time to make the transaction, to make the move where, you know, 
we would basically take over the shoe corral. My dad was very concerned about not making any changes because he didn't want any um, any problems with the merchants and with the customers. He was all concerned about not making changes. I wanted to go in there and change the name real immediately and call it Wesley Shoes, but now he said, let's keep it the shoe corral. Mm-hmm. Let's keep it that way. Let's keep the same employees. We kept probably most of the employees we kept. We even had a couple of the owners working for us part-time, and most people, when they walked in, they thought that nothing had changed, and, um, you know, it was still So what same. did that tell you about your dad? What did that tell you about your dad's business sense, that, that decision to keep uh, the packaging of the store and the business the same. What what did that tell you about him? And people yeah, need to know that Hyde Park, Chicago, is uh, yeah. it's yeah. Um, it's fascinating. It's diverse. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. it's uh, challenging in terms of adventure. You can find it everywhere. I just had fun walking in and out of stores because they were Mm -hmm. all different and there's something that you haven't talked about that i never ask you you talked Mm -hmm. about your dad never having a pair of shoes till he went to the army and all these things how did he finance the stores oh that's a good question oh um so um he was good with money he was always good with handling this money Uh um one of our relatives was actually, uh, um, if you go into history books, uh, his name was uh, T.K. Lawless. Oh. Name, if you ever go into history books, he was like a blood plasma. Uh, yes, yes. Back in the day, he, yeah, he discovered blood plasma He in the syphilis cures, and back in then, that was a big thing. And he, he owned a lot. He was actually very wealthy. He was one of the most wealthy men in in the black or white or in the world at the time mm-hmm. and uh he, he lived in chicago and um he actually uh he had a brother that was blind his name was uh we called him uncle stewart was his name and he was related to my dad through my grandma's side i don't quite get it but anyway because uh, my my grandma her last name was lawless too okay so anyway um anyway his uh brother uh his brother um had a lot he handled a lot of his money and what happened his brother died and he left um he, he still had his wife uh was aunt louise i called her and uh, my dad took over a lot of his property and made sure that aunt louise had a home and she stayed with us and he had a lot of nice property still left over and I'm sure he, you know, handled some of that money well with the fact that he just managed his money well since every, you know, and uh, I'm sure he used some of that. And then, of course, he was a veteran from the Army. So yes. He was able to use some of that, too. So Like the GI Bill sure. and stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. So he handled m- his money well. Okay, we skipped over my, my other question, which was, as your dad was telling you what to do with the store, the shoe corral and why you, he wanted to sustain that title and everything. What did yeah, that tell well, you about him and his business sense? Yeah, I mean, he was, uh, he, he wanted a smooth transition and we actually, you know, a lot of people would come in the store and they thought that the uh, Jewish guys still owned it, but we did, you know, we played a real low key, you know, like we were just working there. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things uh, that happened, a lot of people don't know, like when we did 
take over uh, the other merchants at the time who were in the shopping center. Mm-hmm. And it was a full shopping center then. I mean, there were a lot of stores. Um, they found out that this black family from Roseland, which is kind of like the hood, you mm-hmm. know, kind of a you know, ghetto area, as they call it, uh, was coming into Hyde Park to take over one of the most, you know, the key stores there. They they called all the merchants together. They called an emergency meeting mm-hmm. with all the merchants at the time. And they uh, called an emergency meeting to, with one purpose in mind, to block us out of getting that lease. They didn't want us to get that lease because they didn't feel that, even though we had been in business by that time, about 10, 12 years successfully, they didn't feel that we were, you know, should be taking that store. So, What what years uh, What years was was this? Is this in the 80s? This was about, this is right when we took over the lease, uh, 1982, about 1982. I just want people to hear the history, you know. Mm-hmm. What you're yeah. talking mm-hmm. about is an example of racism in the business world. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I yeah. just want to, I don't want that to just be uh, a footnote. Yeah. That's a reality. No. Yeah, that was definitely a reality. So they came out of that lease, out of that, um, meeting with uh and this is before the university of chicago owned the property this is when uh i think it was arthur rubloff back in those days owned the property and they came out of that uh meeting with uh they had it's unheard of nowadays for uh the the divine brothers had to sign a um a guarantee a personal guarantee or something uh in order for us to get that uh keep the property or something so anyway we wound up paying them off in record amount of time and um you know and we you know the rest is history i mean we wound up and you know today all those stores that were blocking us are all gone and we're still here and uh you know it's uh it was you know it's one of those things so around 1990 when they remodeled the shopping center i slowly i started calling it wesley shoe corral then mm-hmm. and uh because a lot of people still knew us from, you know, from the Roseland area. Mm-hmm. And then today we pretty much call ourselves Wesley Shoes. And, and uh, so people, you know, the secret's out. And people know that we're <laughs> But the interesting thing is, um, I, I don't mind admitting, uh, I don't, I no longer have the financial ability to spend a lot of money, but I still like to look. And I like mm-hmm. to look at... Uh, stores on the cutting edge i like to look at very high-end stores and uh, i was so impressed by uh, the footprint and the uh, the evidence that children are uh, a driving force and very important to your business i want you to uh, talk about how technology fits into how you sell shoes oh sure yeah so um one of the things we do differently than a lot of stores, uh, well, we still measure your foot, but when you walk in our store, uh, we scan your foot like at a, like you get scanned at a, uh, you know, at the doctor's office. Mm-hmm. And what we do is we take a, uh, it takes impressions and it shows us your, uh, your pronation. It shows us your arch height, your instep, your length, your width, and your girth, and uh, your pressure points under the bottom of your foot and uh, it's a camera that takes all these pictures in a matter of seconds uh and what it does it uh analyzes it and it recommends based on your posture 
and your alignment, it recommends orthotics for your feet, and it also uh, shows us um, exactly where your pressure points are. Sometimes it even recommends orthotics, too. So uh, that's one of the things we do a little differently. Um, from there, we... Uh, we uh, we have you know when people sit down we have a little area where they can sit down and get their feet massaged and uh, I missed that. Foot. Wait a minute, I have to come back. You mean I missed the yeah. foot massage? Okay, yeah, that's yeah, because we there were so many people there. I know. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, we have machines. Sometimes we have to drag people up from getting in there to get those <laughs> machines, and they uh, they do all kinds of things on your feet. So we have that, and. Um, but most importantly, we uh, after doing that, we, we come out, we have a lot of different products. Like we, we specialize, uh, we have evolved into more of a comfort shoe store. Mm. We, uh, we have comfort and fashion, and we have children's, men's, and women's. And we're kind of like the old-fashioned sit-and-fit stores where we still measure your feet, and, uh, and we help you put the shoes on, and we... Um, uh, people buying running shoes can test them on the treadmill. They can. Uh, we have a treadmills in the store. They can test them and see how they feel. We have um, uh, different things that we do. You know that, that some stores you just don't see. So we try to give you that that uh, environment. And I, I can't begin to tell people, uh, it's an adventure <laughs> to go into the store, um, mm-hmm. and it's not just shoes. What are some of the other things you may find in your store? Oh, yeah. So we've kind of evolved. Uh, lately, a lot of people are comparing us more to Nordstrom's than anything because we've added on women's clothing lately, which is yes. really some days I forget, I forget we're a shoe store and I think we're a clothing store. Yes. So we've started doing, uh, we've tried to make our shoes, our, our clothing as nice as our shoes. So we shop all over the world for uh, different lines. Like we have a line from Turkey and we have some lines from uh Spain and South America and different uh, clothing lines to kind of coordinate with our shoes. And uh, we have fitting rooms now and uh, got some uh, good buyers that are really, uh, you know, try to put a package together where we can fit you from head to toe for women. And it works. Yes. It works real good. Yeah, yeah, it works good. Now, you just said uh, I want to make sure you emphasize your international sourcing. And I think that's how you and I began a conversation because I was looking at some tops that you had uh, mm-hmm. and we couldn't find the one I wanted in my size and that's why I came in and started looking at other things. But um, mm-hmm. you, you said, where do you get your shoes? Let's just talk about that. Well, the shoes we get from all over the world. We shop internationally. Uh, a lot of our brands are imports, so a lot of them are in European sizes, like most of them are actually. Yes. Uh, we do a lot of uh, we do a lot of uh, we do some boots from Canada. We do domestic shoes from the United States. There's not many left, but there are some good domestic companies. Mm-hmm. Of course, we uh, import a lot of shoes from um, from um, South America, from the UK, from um, Spain. Portugal was a big resource place. Turkey it makes great shoes. Uh, uh, we do. I mean, Israel, we have shoes from all over the world. I mean, we just shop internationally. You know, there's so many brands out there and certain companies that specialize in different things. So, I remember uh, the gentleman was checking out as I was waiting for you, and he, I, I, think, I think he was from somewhere in West Africa, and he was coming to do his shoe buying, 
to take back. You know, it was a destination to come to your shoe store. And apparently he had a tradition with you. And he says, well, I want this and this, and I want this for him and that. And I said, oh, mm-hmm. okay, yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, I think I remember that, yeah. So that's kind of the nice thing. Over the years, we've developed a lot of good relationships with a lot of people, and we've got a lot of uh, great customers that come in. And been fortunate to have some great, the great team of people, a great team of staff, the people who have been with me for 20-plus years who have been working for me. And then we're trying to bring in new blood and train them up and uh, – so we've uh, we've been blessed in that sense, and uh, you know we train them up and get them up and going. Well, let me ask you this: um, mm-hmm. When okay, let's help our audience walk from the sidewalk into your store and give them the layout. When they come in the door, on the right they're going to see this; on the left they're going to see this. If they come forward, they're going to see this. Mm-hmm. What's behind the cash register on the walls? What's back there right. in the children? Can you do that for me? Yeah, I could do it. You could also Google it now. I think uh, if you Google our website, it's there. Shoes.com, yeah, it'll, it'll give you like a 360 view of what's in the store. But, yeah, we and you walk in to your right, you're going to see mostly the men's wear. You're going to have your men's shoes. Uh, usually we have more of our uh, walking shoes at the front or our seasonal shoes. Mm-hmm. So if there's sandals, brand, we have sandals, or if there's shoes, if it's one in the fall this time of year, we might have some boots showing. Uh, then we have, uh, to the right, when we have our more uh, classic shoes like Johnston and Murphy and... Uh, High-end. Mm-hmm. Then we have our uh, one of our number one lines is Echo, E-C-C-O. Mm-hmm. We carry a lot of their men's shoes, too. Then we have a line from Australia called Blundstone. A lot of the university kids like those. They're waterproof. They're uh, you just slip them on. You don't have to tie them. It's just convenient. You know that's a big trend right now. And then uh, from there, then we get into the athletic section in the back where we've got our three main lines: or our New Balance, mm-hmm. Hoka, Hoka, and uh, On Running. And those have been uh, really probably one of the best moves we made. Is uh, getting back into the athletic business. We used to be in the athletic business back mm-hmm. in the in the uh, early 80s and 90s. We sold Jordans and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. We got mm-hmm. kind of tired of uh, we got kind of tired of our windows getting broken and all that stuff. Oh, that <laughs> makes sense. I forgot. People want them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was uh, that was really still crazy back then. So we got out of that business and um, it was one of the best moves we made. And we kind of now we've evolved into uh, these more of the true athletes, what they're wearing. The true athletes are wearing New Balance. and That's what I have on right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, those have been really uh, good for us. And, um, you know, we've just evolved over the years. We've made changes, you know. And, and, uh, so what what's that great change. big green thing that's sitting back there in the back of the store? Is it a dinosaur? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so in the kids' department. Yeah, the kids' department, yeah. Big, yeah, there's a dinosaur, there's a popcorn machine. And the kids love, they're fascinated by the dinosaur. They go back there, it's very kids-oriented. And we fit them up and measure them up. We want, we want to make it kind of a nice place where kids can be comfortable. And then uh, we do everything from ballet and tap dance shoes to, mm-hmm. uh, to the boots and baby shoes, first firstborns and all that. 
we fit a lot of kids back there, uh, you know, and then over the years, uh, you know, it continues to grow. And um, then on the other side of the store, on the uh, south wall, was all women's shoes. In yes. the corner is our Birkenstock, Birkenstock department. Yes. And uh, we just added that. That's been a really good line for us, Birkenstock. We've been carrying them for, for over 30 years now, and it's just evolved and gotten better and better. Mm-hmm. And then from there, we have our... Uh, Talk department, then it moves into more of our, uh, our our handbags and findings behind the counter. Yes, yes. And, and then uh, on the walls, on the further up front to the front is our women's dressier shoes and more casual shoes, lifestyle shoes, mm-hmm. uh, slippers, all kinds of things. We just kind of you know make a little story. And more in the center is our clothing, where we have our uh, clothing racks and uh honestly we could use a little more space yes you could yes you could use some more space because yeah, uh, not only do you have all that in the store you've got a lot of customers happening too yeah exactly <laughs> yes yeah, so but that's kind of a good thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. let me ask you something i um i've listened to your story as a woman of color and an entrepreneur, I can understand what's behind the words that you've told us, the story of how you became today. But let us just step back a minute and share any other challenges you haven't talked about that you personally, as you walked into uh, leadership of the organization, what are your biggest challenges today? Well, it hasn't been it hasn't been easy. I've I've made a lot of mistakes. Let me put it this way: if if there's a mistake that's been made, I've made it. Uh, I think the, one of the biggest mistakes, and you learn from your mistakes, and you move yes. on. And each one is a learning experience. Uh, uh, I think I opened a store once in 2000. I wanted to open this um, children's boutique store, and I opened it in a kind of a yuppie area in uh, in Lincoln Park, Chicago area. It's like Ooh. really high, high end <laughs> upscale area on Halsted Street. I was I was next door to Baby Gap. I was. Uh, I just knew this was going to be a home run. I had this deal with, um, at the time, with Stride Right, where they were going to make us exclusive in the area. We had did all our demographics, and we just knew this was going to be a home run. Mm-hmm. And it started off with a home run. And we the first few weeks we were jamming, and literally uh, within two months of that, two or three more stores opened all around us, and Stride Right didn't honor the deal. They wound up. Gave an, given another store um, in a different location. They got shoes too, and then this other store opened on the corner, and and it was just a mess. I mean, everybody jumped in, and and then the lease I signed wasn't. It had some little small print in there that I should have looked at a little closer. Okay. <laughs> and just everything that happened that could possibly go wrong went wrong. Well, we wound up closing that store. It was a five-year lease. We closed it in three years, and. Um, and um, I mean, after that, I got uh, everything just kind of, they say the stuff hits the fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I got in some tax trouble. I got behind with some taxes and I got a, uh, I had a lien. I mean, if, if I had anybody had a, a, a tax lien, mm-hmm. I owed everybody. I owed the IRS over 100000 I owed the uh, Illinois Department of Revenue over 80000 I owed the... Uh, 
the Illinois Department of Employment Security about sixty thousand. I owed vendors over fifty thousand. I owed the uh, uh, the landlord. Uh, they worked with me. It was the University of Chicago over sixty thousand. I was so upside down. Some days I was like, and I, I mean, I went through a period where I didn't even pay myself a check. You know, I was like, you know, just struggling just to make ends meet. And yet, and yet, and yet, I mean, first of all, thank you for your authenticity. Thank you for that. Thank you for sharing that. And, and I'm saying to you, and yet, what's going on today? Okay. Oh, you know, all that's behind us now, you know, but, uh, you know, we hung in there and uh, cleaned all that up and it's a whole new organization. You know, we got our website jumping and our stores jumping again. I mean, we went through a, went through uh, uh, a lot of turbulence there, you know, <laughs> it was shaky ground for a while. And that's, uh, that's, stores, so, yeah, mm-hmm. that's, <laughs> that's life. But what I, what I love about the show, when I have someone kind enough to be authentic, uh, authentic and share, I appreciate that. And I want to ask you, what would you tell your listeners or future entrepreneurs to watch out for so they didn't have a litany of issues like you just talked about. What kinds of things might help them, help one of our listeners that says, oh, I want to start this business? Um, I would say um, if you're starting a business today, the first thing I would say is you, you, de- you definitely need to love what you enjoy, what you're doing. It has to be fun, something you enjoy doing. That's number one. Second, I would say um, you always want to be fair with your employees and your customers. In mm-hmm. other words, uh, treat them like like you would want to be treated all the time. That's, mm-hmm. that's just being fair. You know, to check if if you all you know if you all uh, you know your checks are there that they you know just like they want to be paid on time, they need to be there on time. So everybody's got to stand you know be uh, accountable. Mm-hmm. Uh, three. Uh, I said, don't be afraid to put any skin in the game. When I say skin in the game, this means you have to invest in yourself. You may want to, uh, sometimes you may have to put your house up for collateral. You may have to uh, go with a period of time where you don't take a check, you know, but uh, you you got to put some skin in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, four, you better do your homework. If it means going to work for your competition or whatever, do it. Uh, learn every aspect of the business that you plan on going in so you can um, master it and make improvements. And then I would say number five would be to maybe uh, find a mentor if you can. Oh, that's a, a good one. That's a good one. A prototype. Yeah, a prototype or as a model where you want to be. So, Okay, yeah. so we got, first of all, well, I'm not going to put Love doing it. Be fair mm-hmm. to employees and customers. Um, mm-hmm. Excuse me. Invest in yourself. Do your homework. Learn every mm-hmm. aspect of the business. Find a mentor, if you can, or a model that you want to emulate and be mm-hmm. accountable. Mm-hmm. I think that's good news. To you know, That's important and helpful to anybody. Let me ask you something that just popped in my mind. How did the pandemic mm-hmm. impact your business? Well, actually, the pandemic was, uh, it was good and bad. I mean, it was a time like, like I was like, I woke up, and I was like, how are we going to stay in business? Because I was, I was so underwater. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, actually, it's funny how things turned around. Uh, 
because it eliminated a lot of our com- competitors. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. we had a lot of stores around us, and they just dissolved. I mean, we had uh, one of our main competitors was called The Walking Company. They were downtown in a big mall down there. They they dis- disappeared. Now they're, they're only online, you know, but that's a different experience. And then, uh, you know, there was a New Balance store across the street. They went out. I mean, there was a lot of Foot Lockers went out. Mm-hmm. And, and next thing you know, we were the last man standing. And, um, you know, we just, uh, we held on. And our website, you know, we, where our website, we, we've always had a website for the last 12 years. But all of a sudden, it started, you know, we were, you know, we were selling maybe one or two pair a month or something. Mm-hmm. But we were selling one or two pair an hour. You know, oh, like, that's good news! Yeah, yeah. Selling the places we never thought we'd be selling in, in uh, Virginia and Kansas and uh, Texas and California. So we started shipping all over the country, and we started upgrading our website to make it more of a, um, a better experience. I wanted to be, you know, as good as a Zappos or anybody else. So that's yeah, become a, a good source of revenue. Well, let me ask you this: um, We're gonna come to a close in a little bit but i want mm-hmm. to know what would you do if you knew you could not fail no, that's a good question <laughs> if i couldn't fail i would probably i would set up about two or three more brick and mortar stores and strategic areas so we we have algorithms on our uh, website to show where our hot spots are yes and definitely number one is actually the area you're in in uh, virginia and dc mm-hmm. is like one of our top <laughs> top areas we sell we sell and shoes there all the time the second area would probably be in the atlanta area mm-hmm. we sell a lot of shoes down that way the third area was surprisingly was on the memphis and tennessee area we sell a lot of shoes down that, that way. doesn't surprise those me some, yeah yeah those have been really hot areas the stores would be full service and have state-of-the-art technology. They would also have a, a complete lineup of footwear and clothing, kind of in competition with Nordstrom's, and uh, but at a fraction of the space. I wouldn't have that kind of space they have. And um, but what I want uh, our international uh, visitors to listeners to know when he's saying Nordstrom's, mm-hmm. he's talking very top mm-hmm. of the line, uh, merchandising, mm-hmm. brick and mortar, large stores. Yeah. Okay. So uh, pandemic had a back end goodness for you, and you survived. What you would do if you would would fail is Mm -hmm. expand, okay? Uh, You Mm -hmm. told us what you would love to share with future entrepreneurs, and I really appreciate that list. Um, Mm -hmm. Is there anything else before you read your letter that you would like for our listeners to know? Well, uh, uh, recently we were uh, voted um, by the shoe industry. Uh, what they do is they take a ranking of uh, all the independent shoe retailers in the country. Mm-hmm. And for the last, uh, what they do is they go into the stores, they have a mystery shopper, and they have really high uh, standards that you have to meet. And uh, for the last five years, we've been in the top 50. But the last couple years, like last year, we were uh, – ranked number one independent shoe store in the country in the uh, state of illinois and number two in the country we were one point away from being number one well let me just uh, congratulate you (laughs) that is so awesome 
and I know that's on your website. Uh, I want to say yeah. to you that I will be back in Chicago this year, and the pair of shoes I did not buy, I won't make that mistake to leave them in the store because they are no longer there. Um, if uh, quickly you could tell people how to get in touch with you, how, your website, etc., could you uh, give them that URL? Yeah, uh, Wesley, W-E-S-L-E-Y, shoes, S-H-O-E-S, dot com. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can pick us up there. You can uh, you can text us. You can um, communicate with us there. You can also call us at our store, 773-667-7463 or 667-SHOE. Uh, you can also stop by. I'm usually there about three or four days a week. The store is open seven days a week. And we'll take good care of you as we've done. <laughs> I think, I think you're probably going to increase uh, what's going on in your store as a result of your words, your description, your history, your enthusiasm, and your success. I want to be. I want to congratulate you. I am so proud to know you, to have experienced you, and will in the future. Um, I'd like to ask you at this point, would you mind reading the letter you wrote to your younger self? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, sure, I'm ready. Uh -huh. Okay. Okay, so letter, letter to myself. Um, <clears throat> never give up. There are going to be days when you think the world is coming to an end. There are going to be times when it looks like there's no answers to your problems. Through it all, just stand and trust God has a purpose for you. Don't get mad, get smart when things don't go your way. Get better at what you do, like Kobe Bryant used to practice and train for hours and hours and hours before the game. He would analyze every move that Jordan made and emulate them. You have to do the same thing. Never stop dreaming, whatever you can, whatever and whenever you can, keep, keep your dreams alive. Live every day to make it a perfect day. Never give up your search and try your best to be 100% truthful to yourself and your loved ones. Trust your gut instinct. Don't be afraid to jump and take a chance. A good friend once told me, God will continue to teach you lessons until you finally learn them. In other words, <laughs> you will keep making the same mistakes until you finally get it. So last, last thing, slow down. Keep your eyes on the road. Choose a lane. My dad used to always say, choose a lane uh, that you want to travel in. Don't don't drive forward and look in the back mirror. You know, you got to choose your lane, move on your on your life. Sometimes it hurts, and, but God will always give you another chance. Um, one of the last things I'd say, I, I personally, I lost, I lost one of the loves of my life during COVID. Uh, she was always there for me, and I let her down when she needed me most. I, I regret it every day because she was like a soulmate, best friend, and she taught me how to love. By the time I realized it, it was too late and she had moved on. So another lesson learned. And, uh, you know, that's, that would be my letter to myself. I appreciate your letter. I want to repeat, God has a plan for you. Don't get mad. Mm -hmm. Get smart. Never stop dreaming. Mm -hmm. Choose a lane. Mm -hmm. Stay in it. Don't let love pass you by. Well, let me quickly close this out with uh, a few thoughts for our spiritual doggy bag. You know, there are times during the week where you say, I'm tired. Is this all there is? Uh, I don't know. Well, I want you at those moments to remember 
that you are amazing just as you are. And there's some words that I'd like to read to you uh, from Love, also known as God. And it's written by Glennon Doyle Melton. And I quote, Stop. Stop holding your breath. Breathe. There's enough. I've created an abundance of exception, attention, recognition, joy, peace, money, energy, clothes, food. I will never leave you without enough. And there's nothing to be afraid of. No, nothing, no circumstance, no person. These things come and they go, and you can live through them without running, hiding, numbing, or hurting another one of my children. And did you know this, my angel? There's never been anything wrong with you. Not one day in your life. You are exactly who you were meant to be right now, as you are. You are not to be ashamed. You punish yourself, but you have no reason to be punished. You can stop now. You're free. You've been listening to Frankly Speaking with Tyra G on Radio Fairfax, Fairfax, Virginia, with my special guest, Mr. Bruce Wesley from Wesley Shoes in Hyde Park, Chicago. Until next time, treat yourself like someone you love. You're stronger than you feel, smarter than you know, more beautiful than you believe, and more love than you can ever imagine. This is Tyra G. I'm here, and I'm listening. <laughs>